Well, amen. What a joy to be here this morning, and we do count it a privilege and honor, and uh, certainly glad to see uh, Pastor Tommy McMurtry and his family. And uh, wow, it's just amazing. Uh, I believe you all have eight children, and Miss Pam and I have eight children. We have a little, our first baby's in heaven. We had a little girl, Miss Pam, carried almost full term, and uh, man, we were so excited. And then uh, after we went through that, the doctor had gave us discouraging news that uh, he didn't think that we would be able to have children. Good Christian man, but we uh, mentioned that to my dad, and uh, he got another preacher friend from yesteryear, and uh, they prayed over us, and man, I'll tell you, God bless, and gave us eight children uh, besides the one in heaven. So we feel richly blessed, and I mean that. God's been good to us, and uh, we're grateful for that, but I'm even more grateful to have 20 grandchildren. Somebody say amen. If you're a grandparent, you understand what an extra blessing that is, and so we look forward to uh, seeing what God has for all of their lives, and what a joy to be here. And as Brother uh, McMurtry said, of course, Pastor uh, Tom McMurtry, his dad and mom are here, and they're very dear to our hearts. And uh, as it was mentioned, Brother Tom and I are first cousins. We grew up knowing each other and seeing each other maybe once or twice a year, and uh, then uh, as time went by, uh, God worked a situation in his life and home uh, because of some things going on in the school system. My dad was down preaching revival, and I'll never forget it. He called me and said, hey, I'm bringing you a surprise when I come home. Man, I was excited. I'm thinking, you know, new bike, new car, what's he getting me? And uh, he gets home, and Tom gets out of the car. And he said, surprise. Uh, he's come to stay with us for a while. Some things were going on, and and uh, in the school that was out of his control. But I'll tell you, God was in it. He didn't know this, but just the week before, on Sunday night, some young men that I'd known all of my life, that I'd gone to church with, made a decision that would forever end our friendships. Now, I've always been friendly with those guys, and uh, but never was friends anymore like we had been. We used to go out sometimes on Sunday night after church, maybe you'd get a Coke or a hamburger or something like that, but the guys were getting together that night, and you could hear the buzz. Something different was going on. One of the young men had stolen some liquor, and they decided they were going to go out in the country and drink that night, and when they told me about it, I said, I can't go. They said, why not? I said, because I'm a Christian. They said, we're Christians too, but you only live once, and I mean, after all, you're going to be a preacher the rest of your life. I'd already started preaching at the age of 13, and so they said, you know, uh, it's not going to hurt if you just go once. And I said, I can't do that. And that night, and I'm not complaining, they made fun of me, called me names, tried to pressure me into going, but I didn't go. I went home that night, and honestly, I cried. I said, Lord, I don't have a friend in the world. And that wasn't true, but I felt that way. These guys were very close to me. I grew up in church with them. And they made a decision. By the way, it was that very week that my dad brought Tom home to live with us. And we weren't perfect teenagers, pretty close, but not perfect. Brother Tom likes to say we were such good guys. And the proof is, look at the wives God gave us. He also likes to say, look how rotten they are. Look who they got stuck with. But we, they don't agree with that. But anyway, so uh, when Brother Tom came, God really knit our hearts to want to live for the Lord and serve the Lord. And, and uh, what a blessing and what a friend he's been over these years. I always tell people when I go places... 
He is my first cousin and my brother-in-law. We married sisters, but not our own. Since I live in Arkansas, I like to clarify that. But uh, it is a blessing to be doubly related to your pastor. And uh, it's only complicated sometimes. Uh, Brother Maury Gibson, Brother Tom Gibson preached here recently. His dad, uh, his youngest uh, brother married my youngest sister. So he's related to my sister, and I'm related to his brother, but we're not related to each other. Their kids grew up thinking that they were all related. Our kids grew up, and we were in a meeting at Brother Tom's, and his dad said something about, you know, my uh, Brother Graham's children call me Uncle Maury. I'm really not their uncle. We're not actually related. And Brother Tom, I mean, he looks at his dad like, we're not? I didn't know. But anyway, and uh, so it's such a neat thing to have family. But, you know, when uh, Brother Maury's um, daughter married my nephew, it was a little bit complicated at the wedding when all of the groomsmen and the bridesmaids, are, you know, they, they didn't put in the program because it would have said cousin of the bride and the groom. That would have looked weird. But anyway, what a joy to be here today, and uh, we're just delighted. Um, very quickly, of course, I was raised in a preacher's home. I started, I got saved August 12, 1970. I was 12, almost 13. And the same week God saved me, he called me to preach, and I went home that Sunday and announced my salvation, presented myself for baptism, announced my call to preach. I got baptized the following Sunday, and about a month later, preached my first sermon. It was the most requested sermon I've ever preached, because it lasted five minutes. <laughs> but my second sermon, shortly after that, was in Clinton, Illinois, and I preached on a Wednesday night, and when we got home, my sisters, uh, my dad said, how'd it go? My, one of my sisters said, oh, it was great. He yelled in everything and preached for 20 minutes. So her evaluation of good preaching is if you yell in everything. I'm not sure what everything is, but but uh, someone said, and they've gotten longer since then. But I'm, I am time conscious the older I get. But I would say what an honor to be here. Uh, I am a PK. I had five sisters. I was the only boy. You feel my pain. The only difference is if I could have been the oldest, I could have ruled the kingdom. If I would have been the youngest, they could have spoiled me properly. But I was right in the middle, so they all just beat the devil out of me. Now, my dad had a rule we were not allowed to hit girls. I don't know if there was a rule that said that the girls were not allowed to hit guys. If that was the rule, I don't think they obeyed it for sure. But uh, And, of course, I was preaching down in Texarkana, Texas, the first time that uh, I was aware that uh, my sermon was on uh, live stream, and I have a sister in Florida who happened to get on her computer and somehow found me preaching live. And just as I began to talk about my sisters and the torment of being the only boy, she's yelling at her computer, he's not telling the truth. We were good to him. He is not telling it right. And so she called me. As soon as church is over, she calls me and said, hey, I demand equal time. I said, well, that's not how preaching works. You don't get equal time. You just have to grin and bear it. She goes, well, we were so good to you. I said, well, you remember it your way. I'll remember it my way. All I remember is one night laying in bed when I was just a kid, and my sisters and another girl came into the room about 2 o'clock in the morning with pantyhose over their faces and heavy coats on carrying what I found out later was toy guns. So this was pre-9-11 carrying toy guns, or I would have turned them in for terrorism. But anyway, come in carrying toy guns, demanding that I keep my mouth shut or they were going to blow me away. And man, you're talking about terrorized. And then they want to say they were good to me. We know better than that. But anyway, what a joy to be here. 
Mom and Dad did adopt a boy when I was 16, which was a blessing, but I told them it was a little late for reinforcements. But um, <laughs> one of my sisters passed away at the age of 22, killed in a car wreck. My adopted brother was killed in an accident at home when he was 16, four years later. So I have four living sisters, and even though I tease about them, they are faithful prayer warriors. They pray for me and our ministry and, and love me, and I love them, but I just love to tease them a little bit. But it is such a joy to be here, and we're looking forward tonight. Uh, we look forward to being back in the service, and we're going to deal with uh, building a goodly heritage. You don't want to miss tonight. There'll be some things for everybody. doesn't matter. Children. Uh, parents, grandparents, something for everybody tonight. Well, let's get right into the message. We read Psalm 127. And if you would, go with me to Genesis uh, for just a moment. Genesis, the Bible said in chapter number 2 of the book of Genesis, just a couple of familiar verses very quickly. And, of course, we read it a while ago, Psalm 127. By the way, let me just say this. I used to quote part of verse 2 of Psalm 127 to my dad when I was a teenager. It is vain for you to rise up early. He would say, son, quote the whole verse and get it in context. Boy, don't you love those preachers that make you put things in context. That verse is about not spending your life worrying, but, you know, if you walk with God, you can have peace when you sleep. But I like to use it out of context when I was a teenager. But anyway, never did work for me. It's just kind of nice that I could quote it. But anyway... Um, Genesis chapter 2. Let me just say, I want to talk this morning about the foundations of the home. What a wonderful Sunday school lesson. Thank you, Pastor. And a good reminder that it's not just a building on the outside. It has to start within. If you remember, the walls of the temple went down and at one point they were reconstructed. Walls speak of separation and that's essential to the Christian life. But the temple speaks of the inner man. And some people work only on the outside never thinking about the inside. But then there are other people that say, well, all I care about is the inside because God looks on the heart. Well, I'll tell you, God looks on the inside and the outside. So God cares about every area of our life. But oh, how important it is that we not think that spirituality is simply based on what you do and what you don't do, but it's based upon a consistent walk with the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, if you're not saved today, you need to start right there. Give your heart to Jesus Christ. You'll never be sorry. Listen, you'll be glad that you did. But the establishment of the family in Genesis chapter 2 and verse number 21, the Bible said this, And the Lord God caused the deep sleep to fall upon Adam, and he slept. And he took one of his ribs and closed up the flesh instead thereof. And the rib which the Lord God had taken from man made he a woman and brought her unto the man. And Adam said, This is now bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman because she was taken out of man. Therefore shall a man leave his father and mother and shall cleave unto his wife and they shall be one flesh. And they were both naked, the man and his wife, and were not ashamed. Now what you notice, first of all, God ordained the home. Society wants to attack, criticize, malign, even try to reorganize what they think is a home. Let me just say this. Just because society says that something is legal does not make it right in the sight of God. God is the one that started the home. As a matter of fact, He ordained the home. He performed the very first marriage between Adam and Eve. Somebody say amen right there. Aren't you glad that it was God that designed it? Everything in nature tells us that God did it exactly right. And to have anything different than that, and that's not my subject today, but I just want you to understand anything different than that goes against 
against the very handiwork and creation of God. Uh, in the beginning, God created, uh, the Bible said, and He made them male and female. God ordained the home. And of course, when you think about marriage, you think about the vows of marriage. You remember when you got married, Miss Graham and I got married, we're going to celebrate our 45th anniversary very soon, and I'm excited about that. And I remember when we uh, got married, um, you'll forgive me, but... Uh, we were in a, our building at Tremont was fairly small, and at some point during the ceremony, and by, by the way, guys, you understand this. Um, I've not yet met the man. Now, there could be one, but I've not met the man yet that spends his whole life dreaming about his wedding day to the point of what colors we're going to wear, um, how the flowers are going to be arranged, who's going to stand where. Now, if you did that, I'm not making fun of you. But I'm going to tell you something. When you fall in love and find the will of God for your life, You'll do some goofy things. I wore a ruffled shirt. I wouldn't wear a ruffled shirt if my life depended on it. I pray that they never come back in style. But you got to understand, I got married in 1977. I wore a shirt that had ruffles, and only ruffles have ridges. And so here I am wearing this really interesting shirt, and, and I'm standing there. Uh, now, by the way, I won't say who because I, I don't want you to know, but my best man, wrote on the bottom of my shoes. And we were going to kneel and pray at one point. And he wrote on the bottom of my shoes, uh, help me. <laughs> and I don't want to embarrass uh, your father, so I won't mention he was the best man. But anyway, wrote help me on the bottom of my shoes. And I laughed about it. I said nobody came up there. But anyway, my, my dad, of course, uh, dad was never overly organized. I'm not being critical. As far as his uh, soul winning and that kind of stuff and, and church pastoring, but when it came to the service, man, he didn't have an order of service. And, you know, weddings are formal. And you do everything in, in precise order. And you got a song here and you got this here. And every man that goes to his wedding, he's got one thing on his mind. You may kiss the bride. You'll agree to everything they ask. You have no idea what he said. You go through that list of, will you have this woman to be your lawfully wedded wife? Will you give her a credit card? Will you give her money to go shopping with? It's the fine print. You don't realize all that you're agreeing to, but you're agreeing to all of that so that you can hear him say, you may kiss the bride. Right in the middle of our wedding, my dad just stops and says, you know, we weren't going to do this, but you know, Ken loves the Lord, Pam loves the Lord. I think you ought to give a word of testimony. I didn't come to testify. I came to get sugar. And so now I've got to stop and give a testimony. I'll be honest with you, it was the weakest, worst testimony I ever gave in my life. It's like, hey, we're glad you're here. God bless you for coming. Let's move on. But anyway, then my wife gives a spiritual one. Oh, we're so glad you're here. You know, and anyway. But God ordained marriage. The vows of marriage. I remember that covenant, that promise that we made till death do us part. What a wonderful promise. And then the virtue of marriage and its purity. Did you know God designed it in such a way? Hebrews chapter 13 and verse number 4 said, Marriage is honorable in all and the bed undefiled, but whoremongers and adulterers God will judge. So in the parameters of marriage, God put His hand of blessing upon it and, uh, and gave us that wonderful privilege of being married. And then the value of marriage and how precious it is. Oh, listen, what a joy it is. Outside of salvation, the greatest decision I ever made in my life was marriage. And I tell you, I thank God for my helpmeet. I thank God for the wife that He's given me. And, uh, you know, and when we got married, like most young people, you know, you're going to do it better than anybody else. When we get married, we will never have any arguments. Who watch these old people that squabble? We'll never be like that. I didn't realize that sometimes she would be wrong. 
And even worse, I didn't realize there'd be times when I was when I was when I was wrong. Hard to admit, isn't it, guys? And you know, my dad said something in counseling one time that was great. I, I really appreciate this. I didn't think about it at the moment, but years later, he said, "Son, remember this: if two people agree on everything, one of them's not necessary." So it's kind of nice every once in a while that, you know, God gives her an opinion and sometimes we have to, uh, but, you know, we were going to be different. We weren't going to fuss and fight. We were never going to have any struggles. Listen, life hands you things that you don't always expect. And I'm not talking about having a fight with each other even. Sometimes you'll fight things in your family you never dreamed you'd face. You'll deal with challenges and yet you realize the value. And I think about this. I've watched some people go through tragedies or trials in their marriage. Maybe the, maybe the death of a child or maybe the sickness of a child or maybe uh, some great catastrophe in their family. And instead of growing closer together, they grow further apart. Can I tell you something? God put you together for one reason and that is to solve the problems that life hands to you as a team together. And so we see the value of marriage, and then we see the vision of marriage and its potential. Miss Graham and I got married. We went on our honeymoon. Man, I'm telling you, we really went all out. Went to Missouri. We lived in Illinois at the time. And I told her, I said, hey, I know where we'll go to church on Sunday morning. Got married on Saturday. We'll go to church Sunday morning in Arnold, Missouri, because there's a little church at that time that was right on the interstate, just, just right off the edge of the interstate. I said, I don't know the preacher. He doesn't know me. This will be perfect. We can just slip in, go to church, slip out, move on to where we're going further down into Missouri. We get in there, and the preacher says, you know, hey, we're glad you're here this morning. And I said, yes, sir. And he said, um, introduced himself, you know. And so I said, my name's Ken Graham. Are you VM Graham's son? Well, yes, sir. Hey, you're a preacher. You want to preach? I said, no, no, we're on vacation. <laughs> Well, you and your wife sing, don't you? I think, I think you sing, don't you? Well, we, had, we sang with the Blessed Hope Singers, but we'd only done a couple of duets, you know, because we just got married. And, and, uh, and so he's like, uh, well, I'm not taking no for an answer. Will you sing for us this morning? I looked at her and she said, yeah, let's do it. So we get up and sing. We sing a song and uh, we're thinking, man, that was all right. We get that one song out of the way. And he goes, you know, this is so wonderful having this young couple here that's living for God, serving the Lord. I'm going to have them sing another song. And he says, Brother Graham, how long have you all been married? I'm like, oh, maybe 16 hours, 37 minutes and 12 seconds, you know. And he's like, oh, they're on their honeymoon. You know, so it was really great. My wife turns beet red, dies a thousand deaths. We sing the song. Go sit down. Hey, that was really great, bud. I thought we were going somewhere where nobody knew us. She didn't say anything, but I'm reading her mind. But anyway, we went on, we went on our honeymoon, had a wonderful time. But can I tell you something? The potential. As we talked on our honeymoon, we had no idea all that God had in store for us. We didn't know that someday God would give us the children that he gave us. We, we knew that he might honor us with children, but we had no idea. We even talked about names for our children and things like that. It ended up, all of our children's names start with the same letter. Every one of them's first name starts with B. Everyone's middle name starts with D. never gets confusing. I never call children by the wrong name except on days that end in Y. But anyway, it is confusing. But, oh, think about the value, the potential. Plan on, by the way, let me say this, plan on staying together and growing old together. We've recently experienced the empty nest. Our last child has moved. She's not married yet, but she works in a ministry for her brother teaching in a Christian school, and so she's out of the nest, so to speak. But our children are grown. 
And it's a different phase of life. But you know what? I did not want my wife one day to be a stranger to me because we were so focused on the children we forgot to even think about each other. So I'm glad that even though, not that we're old, but we're getting older, uh, we want to stay till death do us part. So we think about the plan on getting old together and then think beyond your children. Listen, short of some kind of a physical situation or maybe some health issue, our children are temporary residents in our home. And that simply means that when the last one leaves the nest, that, and, and you understand what I'm saying, that we still want to build a marriage that pleases God and honors God that will influence them and their children and the generations to come. So God ordained the home. Let me say, secondly, God set the order in the home. And you'll be glad. I only got two points with some subpoints. God set the order in the home. Now, it's already been mentioned. fact is, I've enjoyed listening to some of the preachers that you've had in and your pastor during this month. And uh, I didn't skip church to listen. I heard them later. But, man, what good stuff you've been given. What good counsel. What good challenges. And some of it you'll say, Brother Graham, the other guy said something about that. Well, you know, that's the beauty of, the, of Christianity. We build line upon line, precept upon precept, here a little, there a little. I had a friend of mine used to preach on the home. He's in heaven now. He had some great material, really, really a good teacher on the home. But he said to me, Brother Graham, I don't know what's going wrong. He said, I go to churches, they have me in, and he said, they don't have me back. And he said, what am I doing wrong? And I said, I think I could tell you, but, you know, who wants to tell him? He kept saying, no, no, you got to tell me. I said, all right, here it is. You preach Isaiah 28. To whom shall we teach knowledge? To whom shall we give doctrine? And then give it to them how? Line upon line, precept upon precept, here a little, there a little. I said, then you come into a church and you download everything you know about the family till everybody's head is spinning. They can't even write all the notes of everything you're trying to teach them. And they're like, man, I can't do that. I said, you know, if you give them a little bit, let them want a little more, they might want you to come back. And you know, he said, boy, preacher, that's exactly what I need to do. And he said, I begin to put that in practice. And he said, people started having me back. And you know, the truth of the matter is, sometimes we can get so excited about one single aspect of life, there's more to life than just certainly the home. But the home is an essential part of life. So it's good to know the order. Husbands are to be the head of the home according to the Word of God. And I know that's been hit on. You ladies say, well, Brother Graham, I get tired of hearing that. Well, sir, you're to be a leader in the home. Now, that doesn't mean you have a King Kong mentality. You don't run through the house like Tarzan beating on your chest. Oh, I'm in charge. <laughs> Truth of the matter is, if you are in charge, you probably won't have to say that. You know, when I got out of bed this morning, reluctantly, my head didn't say to the feet, I want to run this thing today. It just got up and the rest of the body followed. And you know, Dad, if we'll just be a leader and have a, have a, uh, a heart for God, and by the way, we submit to our leader, the Lord, and then be a leader to our family. But not only am I to be a lover, or leader, I'm to be a lover. So what, Brother Graham? Be a lover? Yes, Ephesians 5.25 says, Husbands, love your wife. We are commanded to love our wives. Now, I, I've often wondered about this. We know that a woman should love her husband. Don't you agree with that? The Bible said let the uh, elder women teach the younger women to love their husbands. So we believe that God wants the wives to love their husbands. Say amen, men. Amen, ladies. So God wants, us, uh, wants our wives to love us, but we are commanded. I've often wondered why God commanded the men. Maybe because he knew half the time we can't even remember things. Like anniversaries and birthdays and special days. Anyway, that's not the sermon. But 
So we're here to set the love atmosphere as a, as a husband. We often expect that from our wife. I've had men say to me, well, I'm just not very emotional. Well, become emotional. You're emotional about something that you love deeply. Maybe your love is hunting, and when you get ready to kill that big buck, man, you get all excited, and your emotions just get moved. Uh, your favorite ball team is getting ready to win the World Series maybe once in a hundred years, and all of a sudden you're like, I can't hardly believe it. And then day after day, that woman that means so much to you is ignored and neglected. That, dear friend, is not right. She ought to be outside of Christ, your number one love. Be the lover in your home. Be the leader in your home. And be a learner. So what do you mean, Brother Graham? First Peter chapter 3 and verse 7 said, Dwell with them according to knowledge. First Peter 3, 7. What an amazing verse of Scripture that He gives to us men. Now, you know, we have a lot of commandments for the ladies, and I'm, I'm just going to try to move quickly. But look at First Peter and uh, chapter number 3. I don't want you to miss this. First Peter chapter 3 and uh, verse number 7. First Peter chapter 3 and verse number 7. I'll be there in a moment. First Peter 3 and verse 7. Likewise, ye husbands, dwell with them according to knowledge, giving honor unto the wife as unto the weaker vessel, and as being heirs together of the grace of life, that your prayers be not hindered. So uh, be a learner. Dwell with them according to knowledge. That's a clear command. You've got to study her needs, her desires, and consideration of her as the weaker vessel, but then also for Christian fellowship. You know, that verse tells us that God is interested in me and my wife being able to get along. Now, look, the same Holy Spirit that lives in me lives in her. And if I'm going to be right with God, I've got to be right with her. And so I need to learn her. Now, I will say this. I love that verse of Scripture. Dwell with them according to knowledge. We know that knowledge means the study of or the science of. And I don't know a man yet that's ever graduated from the course of figuring a woman out. So I have, Brother Graham. Yeah, you're, you're in that category the preacher mentioned today. You haven't gotten married yet, so you know all the answers. Get married and then tell me 20 years from now if you figured her out yet. No, no. And I'm not saying that critically, ladies. We just know that you're different than we are. And anybody in society that tries to say men and women are the same is dumber than a box of rocks. They're not the same. Uh, and by the way, my wife doesn't want to be my equal. Look at this society. Well, equal rights for women. My wife doesn't want to be my equal. So what do you mean, Brother Graham? Well, if I go hunting with one of my buddies, I don't run around and say, oh, let me get your car door for you. Here, can I carry that for you? Oh, you don't want to carry that heavy gun? I'll carry. I don't do that. Listen, if one of my buddies goes with me, I'll say, you know, down yonder, if you'll go about 150 yards, and then you'll see some tape hanging there, and you go back in there, there's a stand. And some of us have been in on those kind of deer hunts where you go down there and you're thinking... His 150 yards and mine is like 300 yards different, and how did I miss it? So you're out wandering in the woods. But I wouldn't do that to my wife. I'll drive her up to her stand, and so she can kill a deer. But anyway, so I don't want to treat her as my equal. I want to treat her as my better. I want her to know that she is a higher place in my life than I want my friends to be. Uh, if you're out of fellowship with her, you're out of fellowship with God. So God set the order. Husbands ahead of the home. And of course, marriage uh, should become an earthly picture of our relationship of Christ and the church. That's what Ephesians talked about. So be a gentleman to her. Uh, listen, fellows, it's all right. You can be a gentleman. You say, I'm, I'm a man's man. You can be a manly man and still be a gentleman. 
Nothing wrong with that. Have some courtesy and some kindness and, and appeal to her romantic spirit. I had a fellow come to me one time after church and said, my wife ain't got no romantic spirit. I said, oh, she's got one. It's probably been squelched so long that she's not feeling anything, but maybe if you appeal to it. I said, now, at first, it's going to be so awkward for her, she won't know what to do. You know, if you hadn't brought her flowers in 20 years and then you bring them, she's going to be like, all right, what have you been up to? What's the deal here? A friend of mine, Brother McDonald, was preaching in southern Illinois, and he said, you fellows need to do something for your wife once in a while. Bring her candy. Bring her flowers. He said, I know what some of you think. Flowers are so expensive. He said, well, go down to the cemetery. they got all kinds of cut flowers down there, and nobody's, nobody's taking care of that. And he said that as a joke. Two weeks later, he gets a letter in the mail from one of the people in the church said, hey, now, I just wanted you to see this article in our local paper. said there had been a, a report of thefts in the local cemetery with many flowers being taken. She said apparently uh, they were listening to your preaching. But anyway, <laughs> but you know, just uh, spending time together. Uh, then uh, build her security and elevate uh, victory in her life over the fears and things that, that are there and compliment her. Fellas, don't say to your wife, well, you know, this is pretty good, but it doesn't compare to mama's cooking. You might be eating stuff you never dreamed of. It's okay to compliment her. You know, she needs to know that she is still beautiful in your sight. Get to know her. But let me say, wives, you're the heart of the home. No doubt about it. The Bible said, how can two walk together except they be agreed? Ma'am, let me tell you very quickly, encourage your husband's leadership. You know, the foundation of our homes are being destroyed because somehow we've gotten out of line. Somehow we've got this thing backwards. We've gotten confused and, and we've forgotten that God really wants our homes to be a beacon of hope and light in a community. And by the way, someone said, as goes the home, so goes the nation. But I'll say, as goes the home, so goes the church. We've got to build a strong relationship. Encourage his leadership. In other words, remember that God placed him in that position and don't let that bother you. A woman was taken from the rib, not from the head to rule over him, someone said, not from the foot uh, for him to walk over her, but from his side to be a protector uh, of his very heart. So encourage his leadership. Don't undermine it by telling the children, well, your dad said this, but when he's gone, we'll do this. You'd be a compliment to each other. Look, growing up, I knew who the soft touch was in my family. My mother, when, when somebody would call and say, you know what your son did? If my dad answered the phone, his answer would be, no, but I believe it. Tell me. <laughs> if my mother answered the phone, she'd be like, are you sure? I'm just so amazed. He did that? Well, she just thought I was, you know, something else. And, but she had five girls, so she had to at least have one good kid. But anyway, I'm just kidding. But, but it was so funny. So when I was a kid, like all children, they'll try to play you one against the other. And so I would go to my mom. If I wanted to do something that I wasn't sure if Dad would approve of, I'd say to, I'd say to my mom, uh, Hey, Mom, I was wanting to know if I could go, you know, and I'd start listing the names of the guys that were going. And she'd say, Well, that doesn't sound bad, but let's ask your dad. Oh, Mom, he's so busy. The man of God. He's got people to counsel, and he's probably studying for a certain... We don't want to bother him. After all, you are his uh, helpmeet, and you are a partner in this marriage, and, and you're a parent, and so you can give permission. Oh, I know I can. But I think on this one, we'll ask your dad. And I'd just say, never mind. <laughs> I already knew what he was going to say. He'd say, no. 
And, uh, man, how they teamed together. I'll tell you, sometimes it was deceptive. But anyway, I, I appreciate it. I wanted to go swimming one time. I will never forget this. And uh, uh, Brother Tom McMurtry and another friend of ours, we were going to go out to a creek, go swimming. And uh, I asked Dad if we could go. And he said, well, son, I, I don't mind you going. But, you know, being out there, it's a little bit dangerous. He said, I, I'll let you go if you can get an adult to go with you. And... I don't know if I said it or Tom said it. You know, well, Dan, he's, you know, almost 16, so he's surely an adult. And Dad said, no, that won't cut it. So we went over and asked Tom's older brother, Larry, asked him if he would go with us. He said, man, I'm working on this vehicle. I can't go. And then somebody said to him, I won't say who, somebody said, well, if Uncle Virgil asked, would you tell him that you're with us? Now, you, if you ever met Larry... I mean, Larry is a man's man. I mean, he is a, you know, before he was saved, he was a rough dude. And I mean, you, you know, if you ran into him in a dark alley, he'd scare you to death. And Larry looked at us instantly and said, there is no way in this world I would lie to that man. Not a chance in the world. You guys are on your own. So I said, well, you guys go on. I'll go home. And then somebody devised a brilliant plan. Here's what we'll do. We'll go swimming. Then we'll go back to Danny's house, dry our clothes out, and your dad will never know. Okay. I went along. And sure enough, we went swimming. And my dad said one of the reasons he didn't want us to go is because there was this old rickety bridge that wasn't in use anymore. He said, you guys are dumb enough. You'd get up on there and dive into the water. It's not even deep enough. I said, we don't dive. We just jump. But anyway, and, uh, and so how did he know? But anyway, so we went, and I, I told the guys, I better call him, just check in. So I said, hey, we're over at Danny's. We're going to just play uh I think pool or something for a while. We'll be home shortly. And, and uh, Dad said, well, that's great. He said, uh, did you go swimming? And a couple guys in the room, I won't say who they were, were saying, tell him no. But I couldn't lie to him. He said, yes, sir. Did you have an adult? I said, well, you know, Danny. He said, no, no, I'm not. <laughs> Danny, don't, don't count. And then he said, get home now. I'll never forget it, Brother Tommy, because when Dad said that, my two buddies said to me, don't worry. We talked you into it. We'll get you out of this. So they came to the house with me, and I will never forget it. We lived on 7th Street. My dad cracked the door open, what seemed like about that wide. Now, you've got to understand, I'm a pretty big boy by this time in my life. And my dad reaches through that little opening in the door and sucks me in like that and says, see you later, boys. And all I hear is, as they go running down the road, and it's like, where, where was that? We'll get you out of this. I'll be honest with you. Uh, I went to the woodshed that day. My dad told me, he said, son, you have never so willfully disobeyed me in your entire life. And boy, I'm telling you, the, the speech was even worse than the spanking. I promise you that. But anyway, as, uh, as he dealt with that, listen, I knew that my parents were going to be an equal front in raising us. I'm glad that mom didn't try to undermine it. But listen, encourage his leadership. Encourage his love. Listen, keep the home fires burning, dear lady. Uh, he has no need of spoil, according to Proverbs 31. Listen, protect his heart. Keep, uh, keep those things going that, uh, you know, are important and essential for a strong relationship. And then encourage his labor. Don't belittle your husband if he's working, providing for your family. I've heard ladies say, well, my husband works this job and he gets so greasy. And I want to remind you that that grease might put the groceries on the table. Those dirty hands might be providing clothes for the children's back. Don't, don't discourage him. Don't down him. Don't, uh, don't be a critic of what he's trying to do to provide for his family. 
Let me say, lastly, somebody say amen. I'll feel like I'm at home. Somebody say amen. amen. Lastly, all right. Children are the hope of the home. You know, some parents like Eli bring up their children to bring down their house or their home, so said one of the old Puritans. You know, the sad part about Eli is he never restrained his children. I don't feel sorry for children whose parents tell them no. I don't feel sorry for children whose parents correct them. My heart breaks for those whose parents never, never deny them what they want. The Bible tells us about children. We're to train them. Proverbs 22, you know it. The Bible said, that Proverbs 22, 6, train up a child in the way he should go. When he's old, he'll not depart from it. Train them. So if we're going to train our children, there must be some consistency in our training. Listen, we've got to, we've got to deal with things, Dad. We've got to get over this uncontrolled anger. Um, you know, listen, this thing of just always yelling and screaming is not going to get it done. We've got to have some balance in our leadership. Uh, the unstable life. James 1.8 talked about the double-minded man is unstable in all his ways. Let me just say this. A lot of parents only discipline to prevent themselves from being embarrassed maybe when they're in public. Have you ever gone in Walmart or some store like that and some child is just throwing a fit and the parents are yelling and screaming and they can't get control of them? And you know it's because they've never taken time to train them at home. Look, the best family can have a child act up, so don't think I'm thinking your children can never act up. But you know, if the only time you ever get on to them is when you get in a public setting because you're embarrassed, you're not training your children. You've got to teach them at home. You've got to help them. You've got to get them over some things. Listen, uh, Mom and Dad, uh, there's got to be some stability in our lives. Our children need to know where the boundaries are, and we need to help them with that. We've got to deal with unresolved tension that comes into the home between a husband and wife, and, and, and then oftentimes unexplained rules. You know, every home needs some rules. We're to train them. There must be consistency. There must be correction. And there must be some commandments. Rules are a good thing. Now, our children often look for the loopholes in rules, but rules are a good thing. But can I say to you that when I say unexplained rules, Proverbs talks about listening to your parents. Children, your mom and dad have been given you by God to be the guide in your life, and you need to listen to them. But mom and dad, it's important to have rules. They need to know. Now, by the way, when our children are little, when I say unexplained rules, you don't have to explain everything to a child. Don't go into a dialogue about how this toddler is getting ready to touch a hot stove about 17 reasons why you should never touch a hot stove. Stop them immediately. Saying no, dear friend, is exactly what you need to say. You don't have to explain to a toddler every detail. But you know, as your children get older, it's good to give them some insight, what you're trying to protect them from, how you're trying to help them develop some areas in their life so that down the road, listen, they'll greatly appreciate the safeguards. Look, I'm not, I'm not being a smart aleck. But I've never tasted a drop of liquor. How did you do that? Well, I had a mom and dad that warned me about the evils of it. And then as I grew older, explained to me the dangers that it could bring. Those young men that chose to drink that night, every single one of them, at some point in my life, I've preached to all of them. Without exception, they have come and said, you remember that night? We wish we'd made the decision you made. Of those young men, almost everyone except one has had a failed marriage. One of them has been in prison. 
I could list the things that happened in her life. And I don't know that it all began because of that one decision, but I'll tell you what, I've never regretted that I never tasted a drop of liquor. I've had some nasty medicine, but I've never tasted a drop of liquor. You say, well, Brother Graham, how can you preach against it? Well, I never stepped in front of a semi doing 70 miles an hour, but I saw a guy that did, and that was pretty bad. But the inconsistency of rules. Mom, don't be strong one day and weak the next. Be consistent. And then don't get innumerable rules till they can't even keep up with what they are. Just tell them, hey, you listen to me, and I'm following the Lord, and you follow mom and dad. Listen, young people, you might right now feel like you're restrained, but you'll be glad because Eli's boys were never restrained, and it brought them premature death, and it brought great devastation to the nation. But thank God for the foundation of Christian homes. But it starts by giving your heart to Christ and then following His commands. We've got a great book here to help us have families that will honor the Lord. This is the greatest book written on the Christian home. Let's bow our heads for prayer. Every head's bowed, every eye's closed. I'll turn it over to your pastor in just a moment. But if you don't know the Lord as your Savior, this would be a great day to get salvation settled in your heart. And uh, for God's people, let's just uh, realize that we have a great opportunity to have families that would honor the Lord and make a difference in this untoward generation. Pastor.